We continue our series. We're up to uh, Article 19, which is called The Law of God. Now, some Christians may ask a question about the law and might say, if you are saved by grace or by saved by God's free gift, then what does the law of God mean to us? And as Christians, we need to remember two uh, key things. First, no one is able to be made right with God in God's sight by obeying the law. So in Romans 3.20, it says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified or made right in my sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then we're also told that our need for Christ is found that our righteousness comes from him and him alone. So Romans 8, from our Bible reading today, For God has done what the law weakened by the Spirit could not do by sending his own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us by walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, the second thing that the Bible very uh, firmly teaches us is that if we love Jesus, we'll want to keep his commandments. So there in John 15, uh, 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments can be shortened down to love the Lord your God and love your neighbour. And love your neighbour and love God can be expanded out to the Ten Commandments. So they interchange with each other. So uh, Jesus' laws can be fulfilled. So we find there in 1 John 5, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we will keep his commandments. Now at the moment, this is a key battlefield for us in the church. In what ways is it a battlefield? First of all, there are those who are saying, oh, we don't need the law at all. You're saved by God's grace. Who cares about law? We can invent our own ethical standards separate from the commands of God. So there are some people who want to throw all uh, God's laws out the door and say, oh, we're saved by grace alone. God doesn't have to change us. He accepts us as we are. In one way, God does accept us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are after salvation. Now, the second area which is becoming a battlefield is where people are saying, oh, we're not saved by grace. We've got to do something ourselves. It's partly grace, partly what Jesus has done, but it's also we've got to do a whole lot of things to bring about our salvation. So these are two battlefields the church is facing. So this 19th article or chapter 19 on the law of God is quite crucial to get ourselves a balance between grace on one side and law on the other, and how do the two mould together? So if we turn to Westminster Confession there in chapter 19, it says, God gave to Adam a law as a covenant of works, by which he bound him by all prosperity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promising life upon the fulfilling of it, and threatening death upon the breach of it, and enduring him with power and the ability to keep the law. So uh, what does, uh, what's the first thing that Adam is told? <coughs> there in Genesis 1. Let man have dominion over all of creation. So all of creation was under the dominion or the managership of uh, God. And what was the law that he had to keep? Genesis 2.17. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So what about the law in uh, us today? What about those who do not know Jesus? 
In Romans chapter 2 it says, When Gentiles or non-Jewish people who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their consciences also bear witness and their conflicting thoughts sometimes accuse and other times excuse. So what is Paul saying here in Romans? He's saying that each of us have an ethical framework. And if you don't have an ethical framework, I'll give you two words that you may be. You're either a sociopath or a psychopath. And uh, so if someone's a psychopath, they have no ethical framework. But all of creation, every person living on earth except for the sociopaths and psychopaths, have some sense of what is wrong and what is right. But it's interesting when you look at it here in Romans, it says sometimes excusing us, sometimes accusing us. Yes, we do have an ethical framework, but our ethical framework is not always based on God's word. And so there are people who will, uh, will condemn themselves for things that are not wrong. Or they excuse themselves for doing something which is blatantly wrong. As it says there in Romans chapter 10, verse 5, Moses writes that the person who does the commands shall live by them. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience he made the rest of us righteous. So sin came through Adam, salvation came through Christ. So what does it mean when we look at the Ten Commandments and the law? How should we view these things? In Galatians 3 it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the Westminster Confession then goes on to say, This law, after Adam's fall, continued to be a perfect law of righteousness and was delivered to us by God in the Ten Commandments. As we're seeing, James in his book says a lot about the law. So there in James 1.25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be not hearers who forgets, but doers who act. So it's not our knowledge of the law that's crucial, but our application of the law. So in the next chapter, James 2 verse 8, If you fulfil the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So the keeping of the law is giving us a framework of how we should love and care for other people. Then James goes on the same verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who says do not commit adultery also says do not murder. And if you commit adultery but do, uh, do not commit adultery but do murder, you are still the transgressor of the law. In other words, if you break one commandment, then you're judged. You can't go to God and say, look, God, uh, ten commandments are pretty good. I've got eight out of ten. He uh, doesn't see it that way goes on in verse 12 to say, So speak and so act as those who have been judged under the law of liberty. You think, why would it be called liberty? Because the law gives us freedom to have a framework to live safely within. So it gives us boundaries that are safe. There's a really good reason when you go to the zoo that the animals are on the other side of the fence. Because if you said, oh, look, I like the lions, I'm going to go and jump in the lion cage and play with them, they would kill you. 
you go and say, look, look at those nice snakes through the glass. I'll, I'll jump in there and, and, and grab a snake and it will bite you and kill you. So the law gives us boundaries to give us liberty and freedom. Now the Old Testament law was given to us on stone. In the New Testament, the laws of God are written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So there in Romans 13, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are summed up in this one sentence. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. The first four commandments that we have are loving God. The next six commandments are loving your neighbour as you love yourself. As it says here in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. For this is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Confession then goes on to say, beside the moral law, God was pleased to give Israel ceremonial laws. Now briefly we may summarise the, uh, the, the teaching of these first five paragraphs of the Westminster Confession with saying that there's three things. The first is a moral law. It was written on Adam's heart. It was given to Moses in the Ten Commandments. And that moral law that we now have as Christians is perpetual. And it's a perfect rule of righteousness. And it's forever binding on us as his believers. So that's moral law. The second group of laws we find in the Old Testament are ceremonial laws. that they do with worship, to do with sacrifice, to do with the tabernacle and the temple. Why were they there? Because of what is called typology. Each of the imagery of sacrifice was fulfilled by Christ. Because Jesus came as our ultimate sacrifice, our ultimate high priest, our, uh, fulfills the role of the temple and the tabernacle. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14, And God came and tabernacled amongst us. So the ceremonial law is a, a typology and it's an instructive. Why? Because it points us to Jesus. Now the third group of laws we see, especially in the Old Testament, is what you'd call civil law. And they were given to Israel as a nation state. They are no longer binding. But what do we do as Christians when we look at these laws? They will give us some idea about what is fair and what is just as a guideline. So when we look at the Old Testament laws, what does the Bible teach us? Hebrews 10 verse 1. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of their realities, it would never be the same sacrifice that were continually offered every year, made perfect those who draw near. Then Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, when he talks about the law, he says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The law points us to God. The law points us to Jesus. Paul then says in Colossians 2.14, By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, Jesus has set aside and nailed it to the cross. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or in regard to festivals or new moons or a Sabbath. In other words, do not let people create ceremonies that get in the way of your relationship to Jesus. Why? 
Because these ceremonies, these laws, in verse 17, are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. What's the purpose of the law? The law is a guideline. But a guideline that points us and draws us to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 15, By abolishing the law of commands, or commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two by making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. The Westminster Confession goes on then and says, as point five, the moral laws are forever, but not as outward laws, but inner Holy Spirit change of heart. So where's the law now? Not on stone, but written on our hearts. Romans 13 verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour, therefore love is fulfilling the law. So if you say you love somebody, you will not steal. If you say you love someone, you will not lie. If you love your brother, you will not try and uh, uh, steal his wife away from him. Then as point six of the Westminster says, Believers are not under the law. The law is a rule of life informing them of the will of God and their duty. So it's taking the laws away from being this abstract sense to saying this is to do with relationship intimacy. This is how we live in nice relationships. There's uh, nothing worse than um, you go to someone's house and uh, they're cooking up this beautiful, beautiful meal for you and uh, they serve it on the table and uh, you say, look, the food looks fantastic, but... I'm allergic to chili. I can't have your food. Because, uh, yes, what you did was meant to be loving, but it ends up not being loving because it becomes a curse. And that's the same with the laws. The laws are there to show us the boundaries and the guidelines of a loving relationship. Step over those boundaries and you're no longer loving. As it says in Galatians 5 verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the law and the idea of legalism is not part of the Christian faith. But the idea of relationships is a high priority. So what about our sin? And Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I have not known what had been covered if the law had not said to me, do not covet. Or as Paul says in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law all human beings will be justified or put right in my sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So why do we have the Ten Commandments? Because the Ten Commandments are a mirror to our sin and to our soul. The commandments and the laws are not a solution. To look in the mirror doesn't mean you suddenly have a perfectly combed head. The law is a mirror, not a solution. The law points out our failures. The law does not give us solutions. The law does not give us 
forgiveness. So there's a very strong sense of separating law from Christ. The law shows us that we sin. Christ shows us salvation. And Paul, as he reflects on this, goes on further in the chapter there in Romans 7, the same verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve sin. Paul is very conscious of our sinful nature, our desire to do wrong. He says, law shows that and reflects that and points out what we're doing wrong. And Jesus brings about our salvation through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The last point it says here is the law is not contrary to the grace of Christ. It is not contrary to the gospel. Why does it want to make this very strong sense? Because the law is there as our schoolmaster. Jesus is there as our saviour. In Romans, uh, sorry, in Galatians 3.21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then indeed righteousness would be by the law. We keep the law because we're in relationship with God. We aim to keep the law because we're in relationship with our fellow man. We show love towards others because that shows obedience to Christ. And it's very uh, strongly uh, emphasised to us, the law is not stone, it is spirit. And it was prophesied back in Ezekiel 36, it says, I'll put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So a very big part of the Christian life is us praying to God. God, use me, empower me to follow you. And ask the Spirit to lead us and to guide us. As it says in Hebrews chapter 8. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. And I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Where did these words of Hebrews come from? It's a prophecy that was made back in Jeremiah 31.33. It says there in Jeremiah 31.33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, declares the Lord. I'll put my law with them, I'll write it on their hearts, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. It was predicted years beforehand that the Holy Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit is a crucial part of our Christian walk. The Holy Spirit needs to be working in us so that we can express God through our life. And what does it, uh, what, what, if we were to summarise that, the sermon today, what would you say? Number one, the law cannot save us. But it does teach us how to be holy. Secondly, it is only Jesus who saves us and his spirit uh, within us will seek to love God. That's the purpose of the spirit within us. And the spirit will work within us not only to love God but to love our neighbour as ourselves. The law is no longer stone. The law is written on our hearts. The law is no longer outward. The law is inward. So what's the purpose of the, the law? 
is a give us a path to walk correctly. It's a guideline to how we should live. So when it says, do not kill, we should be saying, dear God, if I'm not to kill that person, it's because I love them. Father, give me love and compassion and mercy for that person. The law should motivate us to be empowered by the Spirit. So the law is good, yes, but the laws don't save. They make us recognise that we are falling short. Where's our answer? Found in Christ and Christ alone through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working within us. Why was this so crucial for the Westminster Confession of People? Because they wanted to steer from two things. Those who chuck out all the laws and say, just do your own thing, because that's not being holy, that's not being godly. And also to stop those who are saying, I'm going to get to heaven by my own merits. This uh, article here emphasises that it is Christ and Christ alone who saves us. And he saves us to be used by him in a life of holiness and glory. And how do we know what is glory? How do we know what is holy? Because the commandments give us a guideline to what is life. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for the scriptures. We do thank you for your laws. Father, forgive us deeply for the times that we have wandered away from your truth. Father, may we always rely 100% on Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is working in us day by day. Each day may we become more and more holy as you are holy. Amen.